Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham, and I have the privilege of serving on the team with Converge Northeast, and we are excited to bring you these conversations with leaders as we learn about long-term, fruitful, faithful ministry. You know, many of the conversations I've been able to bring you over the first two seasons of this podcasts have been with people that I know, some that I know very well as close friends, many people that I know as acquaintances or cross paths with many times in ministry. Today is a unique one because it's someone that is new to New England, is new to the Northeast. Uh, Josh Poteet took over as the lead pastor of 180 Life Church in West Hartford, Connecticut, just this past August. And you're going to get to hear his story about how God led him there. There's a lot of great insights here. Uh, for you as a leader and just the way that God has wired Josh, I think will be an encouragement and an inspiration to you. I want to take a moment today to do something I haven't done before in an intro, but just to share a few books that have been impactful. I got a break over the holidays from some responsibilities and other things, and I just got to pour in and do some reading that was good for my soul. So a few book recommendations. There are things, these are books I, I love. Doesn't mean that everything in the book I thought was perfect, but these are books that really spoke to my soul. Um, the first one is an old classic. I love rereading books. And with the passing of Tim Keller, I, I listened to his uh, biography this last year, but it just encouraged me to go back and, and reread a short book that he wrote, which is one of my favorites by him, which is The Prodigal God, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. It's a short read. It's only uh, all of 160 pages in a small format. Uh, but this is just a really good classic Tim Keller look at the gospel. This is a book that I've actually shared with a number of people, especially people with Catholic backgrounds who may have know the story of the prodigal son, but don't understand the gospel. And for me, this is just one of those reminding myself of the truth of the gospel. And it's a good, good read. I really enjoyed revisiting. That was a reread for me. One of the guys from last year's cohort gave me a book that I finally got around to reading, which is The Other Half of Church. And this book is by Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks. And this is a book that talks about spiritual life in combination with brain science. It's a pretty interesting read. I found that the first half of the book was the strongest part. There's some things that I'm still mulling over. All, over, all in all, a very, very good read, The Other Half of the Church. Another book that I picked up here, which many of you may be familiar with, is You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. You Are What You Love. And this book definitely stirred my affections for Jesus, helped me think about the way that I think about theology and my walk with God, and beautifully written, well-written. Uh, James K.A. Smith is a great writer, and I really, really love that. And then finally, a book that I'm almost done with. I'm close to being, but this has been one of the best books on prayer that I have read and uh, again, it's been around for a while, so I'm probably not breaking any news for a lot of you, but A Praying Life, which is by Paul E. Miller, the byline here is connecting with God in a distracting world. And I just have found this to be a very, very practical book. It has already stirred my affections for Jesus and my prayer life in some really, really exciting ways. What are you reading? Send me a note. Let me know what God is doing. I love to be able to continue to refine my walk with Jesus by reading uh, different books that people recommend to me. I'd love to hear uh, what you are, are taking in and what you're enjoying these days. Well, right now, I'd love to jump into my conversation with Pastor Josh Poteet. This is a wonderful conversation. You're going to really enjoy it. Here's Pastor Josh Poteet.
Today, I have the privilege of introducing you to someone who I don't actually know that well, and I'm excited to get to know better. This is Josh Poteet, who leads 180 Life Church in West Hartford, Connecticut. This is a new role for him. Josh, thanks so much for making time today, for jumping on with me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, Andy, thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited because we've, we've spoken one time, and so now I'm a wild card. You don't know what I'm going to do. It's just, We're just going to see what happens. Yeah, you know, I've played it safe a lot. I brought on like a lot of lifelong friends, and I burned through most of those, so now I have to bring on some really exciting new people like, like you, so I'm excited for that. And hopefully we'll uh, get to know each other a little bit better through this today. So I mentioned where you're serving in Connecticut, but that's an, I also mentioned that's new. So talk a little bit yeah. about uh, coming to Connecticut, what your family looks like, and what ministry looks like today. Yeah, Connecticut's been a ride because uh, if you had asked me six months ago, seven months ago, where we would be Connecticut, I didn't even know how to spell it. So how did we end up here, right? Uh, over the last two years, uh, I was the, the next-gen pastor at a church in Houston uh, and really was kind of preying on this this call that, that people kept bringing up uh, of, hey, I, I think you should look at being a lead pastor. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. But like, uh, do you know what that means, right? Like, uh, is it just because you like the way that I teach or is it something else? Because there's a lot that goes into it. And I was like, man, I just don't know that I have the maturity um, to be able to take on that kind of responsibility and leadership. And truthfully, like I'm in it and I still don't know <laughs> if I'm there. I'm still wrestling through that with the Lord. I'm just like, man, like, what does it look like, God, for me to be um, the godly man that you are calling me to be, to be able to shepherd a flock in the way that I'm meant to? And uh, really over the last two years was engaging in conversations with my lead pastor in Houston. She's like, hey, I think this is where God's calling me. I don't know when. I'm still trying to fully like make sure that it is him that I'm hearing. And he uh, just validated the call and was like, dude, like I will walk beside you and we will prepare you. Uh, so fast forward, uh, that was like two years of training and equipping, uh, which uh, honestly, now that I'm in it, nowhere near enough. I wish I had more. Uh, and, uh, but really it was back in May where, uh, I was like, I felt like God was like, not just releasing me, uh, from where I was, but also sending me. And I, I think it was more than releasing. It was, it was a sending piece of like, Hey, now is the time. Uh, and so I, I talked to the lead pastor and I was like, Hey, I think this is it. And he's like, cool. We're behind you. Let's share it with the staff. Let's share it with the elders, make sure everybody's looped in, which was just such a healthy way to be able to do it of not not having to sneak around, uh, but really get to invite them in to prayerfully celebrate what God's calling me into. Uh, and that was insanity for us, Andy, because uh, we went from, I shared with the staff beginning of June. Okay, uh, I was like, hey, this is like, I'm entering into this. I don't know what it looks like. Um, we're still figuring out like how do you even find churches that are looking uh, and it probably is going to take six months to two years to figure this out. Share that with staff. I go on a two and a half week vacation, uh, with my family. And when I come back, I have a job in Connecticut that, that God had fully confirmed for us that like, this is where we're meant to be. So then I had to come back to the staff and be like, guys, I botched this. Uh, like <laughs> this happened way faster than we expected. Uh, but we flew to Connecticut at the end of our vacation and just fell in love with it and fell in love with the people. And uh, so we, uh, as a family, I, I've been married to to my bride for, for eight years. And we have a six-year-old who is just a, she's a firecracker and just like so fun. Uh, this girl has just such a, a soft heart for people. Uh, and then we have our 11-month-old son who 
we adopted back in February of last year. Um, and so this just, uh, it's been a wild ride for the Poteet household. Uh, God has done, I, I would say like a year ago, we had no idea what God was about to do in our lives. And uh, it looks so different. And at the same time, we get to look back and just be like, wow, God, you are. Um, so like I, I say, he always shows up, but uh, sometimes he shows off. And this has just been a season where he has shown off in tremendous ways. Um, it still is. And uh, we're excited and expectant to see what he continues to do. So, I mean, I just want to encourage, like, uh, I love how you talked about the stirring, you know, being sensitive to the stirring of the spirit, but then also being open to God having a different plan and timeline than you might have. So how did you and your wife kind of navigate? I mean, it seemed like you were aligned in direction, but then it it just went a different, different pace, a different place than you even imagined. Uh, How did you guys walk that together? Yeah, well, it helps that this was a two-year conversation okay. for me and my bride because because uh, Jenny her her she had to, she had to battle the same thing of like me being like, hey, am I ready for this? Uh, being married to a guy who is who's doing the lead pastor thing um, has a lot that comes with it, and there's there's burden to it, and it's not that she's like a full time staff member at our church, but she does have things that she has to navigate and walk through and mm-hmm. and help me carry. Uh, and so for her, it was the same battle of just like having those conversations of like, Hey, what does it look like to prepare? Like, what is it like? Do you even want this? And, uh, the win was we were aligned in the call. It took a while. Like uh, it took a, lo- a while for us to get there. But, um, when we kind of got there in May ish, um, it started this process of us just like really pursuing unity. Like God is a God of unity and, and, and oneness, especially in marriage. Um, and so just knowing that I, I believed, uh, and I still do that God wasn't going to call me to a place that Jenny was like, no, we're not called there. Um, there was a scenario and we talked about it. where like, Hey, you might be a maybe, and I might be a yes. And that means we're, we're going to go. Um, but if you're a hard no, like, like he's going to, we're going to pray for unity in this. And as we stepped in, uh, to Connecticut, which, uh, if you ask her was not where she wanted to be me naive me i was like i don't even know what snow is so like full sense, let's do this thing um now i've got like nine inches of snow out in my yard so I, i'm starting to learn a little bit about it but um really just praying together and seeking counsel uh, that's the beauty of like not like keeping it hidden mm. is um i went to our lead pastor and processed through it and i sent him the the website and i sent some of the guys who had discipled me i was just like hey guys like i need you to speak into this like is this me reading into it or um, should I be as excited about this? And just cause I'm excited doesn't mean it's where I'm called. And so like, uh, this is what I'm, I'm hearing from the Lord, but am I reading to like really getting to, to process through it with other godly men so that it's not me or, or my wife, cause Jenny had to process through it with other godly women and, and really figure out like, is this where we're called? Uh, and at the end of it, it was a resounding yes. Um, which was terrifying to us. It was not, not what we wanted. Uh, I wanted, southwest florida where i grew up where my family is um i wanted like the beach for my i don't i don't like the beach but my wife does and so i wanted i wanted that stuff and, and god was like nah we're nah, i got something else for you we're gonna go to connecticut where uh they've got a, a new england mindset where mm-hmm. people don't always like people and it's just the way it is and um and at the same time god's calling us to something very different and uh that's actually one of the things we're most excited about in being in new england is is leading out a culture that is different from this world mm. and uh yeah so it's it's been a, a journey but we're excited and 
looking forward to it. Now I'll give you uh, a complete grace that two years from now, your answer on this next question may be different, but as you come in initially, sure. is there anything that has surprised you in a good way about like, I know like coming from Houston or from Florida, people have certain perspectives of Northeast and there, there's things that are very different culture. There's no question about that. And there are things that are different, but, sure. but are there things that you either found to be untrue or surprised you in a good way? Man, I, I think that the piece for me that it's not that it was untrue because people spoke to it. Um, but, but what I didn't realize, so, so in Houston, there's, and this is, this is an overgeneralization, yeah. so I'm not trying to stereotype all churches, but there's a, like, Hey, you meet another pastor from another church and it's, Hey, like how big is your congregation? Like, and then you just like, you're, you're measuring each other and then the measuring sticks broken and fallen and not good. But you come, I, we came here and the amount of other churches that came up to me and just local churches, right? Where in, in Houston, they'd be viewed as competition or at least largely would be. Um, here they were like, hey, brother, like, let's grab lunch. Like, how you doing? Like, how's your heart? Like, what do you need? How can we be praying for you? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a camaraderie uh, among pastors here. Uh, and I think part of it is, and this was told to me in advance, was like, this is a largely unreached area for the gospel. Uh, it's one of the reasons that we felt called here. Uh, where I would say Houston is the same, it's just, uh, you've got people who don't actually realize what it means to be Christian. And so they're like, have, of course I am. Like I, I've always been Christian. It's like, I don't, I don't think anybody ever has always been like, you have to make a decision at some point. Uh, and so to come here and just like, you've got people who they really don't have a ton of benefits to be Christian other than the eternal things that, that we know that scripture mm-hmm. points to. Um, and it's not an expectation that you're going to church on Sunday. In fact, it's an expectation that you're going to be doing Girl Scouts or soccer or something else. Uh, and so to get to be around a community that is one, other pastors that are just arm in arm, just like linked together, ready to do ba- battle for the kingdom. And then a community of believers who understand the value of their faith in a place that doesn't value it. Mm. Um, and then even bigger scope of a community that is is lost and in, in desperate need and doesn't realize their need, but realizes that they're opposed to it. And I think there's some some really neat clarity in that. Um, man, it's this is an exciting place to be. Mm. And uh, I knew a little bit, but I don't think I I had the big picture, and I'm still developing that. Yeah. Uh, but man, I'm I'm so grateful. But especially the camaraderie of of other pastors has been overwhelmingly good, mm. and we've enjoyed that. Yeah, someone born and raised here with a heart from here. You know, sometimes like what I try to fight against is sort of that skepticism of people from the outside who come to do ministry here. And I think we we've all the skepticism comes from uh, since you know. Uh, a real place in the sense that sometimes people come here and they try to save yep. New England or they want to be the big, you know, they want to, re, you know, plant the saddleback of New England or whatever it is. And, but people who come here to reach their neighbors for Jesus, to faithfully shepherd people, to pastor, who count the cost, uh, and there's a cost, but count the cost, like they mm-hmm. can thrive in ministry uh, here in the Northeast, but it is not a place, you know, you may serve in obscurity in, in the Northeast. And, but you also get that beauty of that camaraderie, um, if you're willing to, to choose it. So I'm, I'm thankful that you said yes. I'm excited to see what God does as uh, he continues to form, uh, your ministry hope for, for, for a long, long time. Let's go back a little bit. You mentioned Florida, 
where did faith intersect in your story? Uh, is that something that was kind of a part of your upbringing and became a point of clarity or not? Or how did that kind of happen for you? Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. We, uh, my family, so I've got a twin brother, little brother, little sister. Um, both my parents are together and, uh, we grew up attending a church kind of like, it was just like a Sunday thing though. We didn't talk about Jesus. Um, wasn't really a part of our household. Um, it was just kind of a box that we checked it uh, later found out that it was for my grandparents. Um, and fast forward, we ended up moving, we stopped attending church. Uh, and my life like construct was my value comes from what I do and what I achieve. So it was the touchdowns, the girlfriends, the GPA, the scholarship, mm -hmm. I knew if I did better, uh, then I would get the attention because my twin brother is doing the same stuff and trying to compete in the same ways. Uh, and so it, it just turned into this, this I don't know, a uh, almost like an emptiness where like as soon as you achieve one thing, as soon as I achieved one thing, it was like the next, right, what's next? Like I have to keep going. I have to keep filling that void. Uh, fast forward to college, um, no relationship with Jesus. Uh, again, really just trying to like grip my teeth and white knuckle this thing. I, uh, growing up, I believed, and, and I would have told you, uh, in high school, I believed that just genetically I was wired to be an alcoholic, mm -hmm. uh, throughout a four my grandparents passed away because of alcoholism. It's just something that's rampant in my family. Uh, so I would have told you that straight up, like, Hey, I'm never drinking because I'm an alcoholic it has nothing to do with Jesus it has nothing to do with anything other than this is, this is how I believe that I'm built. Um, went to college, hung out with some people that really didn't care about the things that I cared about. Mm. Um, they didn't care a ton about school, um, didn't care. They, they weren't athletic, so they didn't care about sports. And so all the things that gave me value before weren't valuable in the area that I was in. And so I needed to, to change my definition of winning in my mind. And that definition was rooted in, all right, who can you have the most fun with? Like, I will be that guy, uh, which led me into drinking and the party scene and and doing a lot of things that are incredibly unwise. And it turns out my theory on alcoholism was spot on mm. because my world revolved around alcohol. And uh, the function of a Sunday morning was how can I convince somebody to drink with me Sunday night? Mm. And, um, and the crazy part of this deception for me was I liked it. Like I, I liked where I was and I liked what I was doing. And at the same time, little by little, I started hating who I was. Mm. Um, and I got to the point where I, I just remember one morning after doing something awful uh, to one of my brothers, I, uh, I looked in the mirror and I just hated the person I saw. And I was like, how on earth did I get here? And I looked at this list of things that, that I thought gave me value mm. and I had none of it. And I was at this point of just like saying, okay, like, I am clearly the problem here, um, but I don't know the answer and I need to start trying to figure it out. And fast forward a couple years, uh, I'm sober two years at that point, trying to figure out um, like, well, I'm sober, but I'm still me. And so that's still an issue. And uh, started trying to look into this, this Jesus guy, looked into a couple religions, trying to figure out, okay, so what's, what's actually true. Mm. Right. Uh, and eventually was convinced that, it, okay, it's Jesus but what does that mean? And so I was like, over these next two years uh, of sobriety, uh, I would tell you that nothing in me grew mm. in regards to maturity, except for my hunger. Like I was just, I became 
at the end of this, I was at this point of just desperation to figure out who Jesus was. Um, so desperate that like every night I was doing some church thing. Again, no relationship with him because I don't know what that means. Uh, but I'm just filling my schedule with all the things. I'm plugged into the three churches, which Andy, fun fact, <laughs> you can't be plugged into yes, three sir. churches. It's not possible. Uh, but I didn't know, man. And so I'm just trying to figure it out uh, in, until I asked someone. It was actually somebody that I had like hurt and uh, I sought forgiveness. And I was like, hey, like this was selfish. Please forgive me. And then I just felt convicted. Um, I was like, hey, there's something in you hmm. that is a light. And I just, I know for a fact, I don't have it. Like, what do I need to do? And uh, it was this moment where they, she sat down with me and she walked through what the gospel was and asked me what my relationship with Jesus was like. And I was like, I don't know how to answer that. Hmm. Uh and it started, it, it was like this, Andy, like it was, I, I say that it was two years where the only thing that in me grew was my hunger. And it was like, somebody finally showed me the fridge. Wow. And I was like, I can't stop. Like, I'm just like, it's time. like, this is, this is it for me. And it just started this all out sprint to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I haven't stopped running yet. Like, it's just been the best decision uh, I ever made and not the easiest. I'll tell you, it's not all been smooth for the Poteet household and and definitely not for me, but man, time and time again, through the highs and lows, I've seen Jesus meet me there Mm. and it's been, it's been incredible. Wow. Thank you for, for sharing that and, and being real about it. Um, there's obviously a few steps between that and then pastoring a church in Connecticut. So maybe mm-hmm. are there one or two people in your journey from hunger and awakening towards becoming a disciple of Jesus that really helped accelerate that process for you? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool how God lined it up for me because I didn't have to wait a whole lot. Um, maybe it's cause he knows I need the extra help. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I would, as soon as I was, it was cool when I, when I was baptized, which was about three months after I made the decision um, to follow Jesus. Um, within, within that point of getting baptized within two weeks, I met a guy who would become my best friend. He'd move into my house and uh, never leave. Like he was, he was there for an entire year. Uh, but the reason that's significant is he's the guy who helped me get consistent in the work. Like it was just time and time again, he was like, Hey, how was your time this morning? Like, what was it like? Like, like, what are you being convicted on? Oh, you missed it. Let's, let's go to Starbucks. Let's make it happen. Uh, and so he got me, um, consistent in the word. And within that same two weeks, I met my, my bride who, um, has been just such a champion, uh, along the journey that I've been on. And I met the guy that would disciple me and walk beside me intentionally, uh, met them within two weeks, all in different places. And, uh, especially that guy who discipled me. He was a guy and he still is. He actually like flew up here last week uh, to give me some counsel on some stuff where he is um, a guy who has been a part of every major decision since then where I've been like, Hey, like I know that I mess things up on my own and I want to make sure that I'm listening to the Lord and following his voice. And I know that you do a good job of that. So help me interpret some of the things that I'm seeing and uh, feeling called to. And so whether it was the call to step into ministry or to marry my wife, or, I mean, when our daughter was born, he and his bride were in the hospital room playing cards with us. We were playing phase 10. And so we said, hey, it's game time. You guys got to get out of here. Like, it's, it's time to go. 
Um, like they've been a part of all of it. Wow. It's this, it's this mindset. I know it's a phrase that's thrown around a lot, but it's doing life together. Um, and, and he was so intentional about it, um, that it just lit a fire in me. Um, and it's this, this kind of like this, if you, if you were to put it in an algorithm, which maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't, it'd be the like, Hey, I do, you watch, I do, you help you do, I help you do, I watch and then go do it with somebody else. Yeah. And it was this, this process where he invited me into it and I watched him do it. And I was like, dude, like, I want to help you do it. And he was like, no, no, no I want to help you do it. You try it now. Uh, where he was just constantly trying to work himself out of a job. Like everything he did, I was like, dude, what do you even do? Cause you just, your, your version of ministry is just giving things away to people. Mm-hmm. He's like, man, my job is to help people to score the goals for the kingdom. And that's what he defined as winning was um, giving things away. And, and honestly, that became my passion and is a huge part of what discipleship looks like for me now. Mm. And it all comes back to that, that guy, Matt Nations, he's still an executive pastor over at Riverside Church in Florida, mm. um, wrecked my life in the way that he pursued people and pursued God and, and taught me to do the same. Wow. There's a lot, lot to unpack there. I think, you know, one, I think you're God honoring your hunger and your just open posture to put the right people in your, obviously can't deny the providence of God in that story. Sure. But, but I also think there probably is something that um, God wove into you in that moment of just being open to receive that counsel and that feedback and to pursue, you know, the fact that you just said that your, your mentor was up visiting you in this season of life. Like that doesn't happen without asking and requesting and invitation. And, and I was just uh, communicating today with one of the, one of the young men in, in one of our cohorts with the evergreen way. And he was talking about how he relocated to a new area and, found that his friendships were lacking and had to take the step of asking somebody to go out to coffee and have, mm, a, you know, good. a more spiritual conversation and stuff like that. And so I think that we, you know, especially I'll say as a New Englander, we can be cautious about that type of openness. And uh, I think that yep. God will, God will really honor that type of, of perspective. Um, that's an awesome thing. So as you've, as you've moved forward, you've talked about the journey to end up in Connecticut, but like, as God has formed you as a, as first as his child and second, as a servant of the King, the opportunity that we get to do, don't have to do for him in ministry. Sure. Like where do you find the intersection of joy uh, to be kind of most profound in leadership and maybe some communication, helping people. What about being a pastor are the things that you're like, okay, that is why I do what I do. Yeah. Um, and that's a cool question. Uh, my, my deep, passion is I, I think it's twofold it's getting to see jesus break chains mm. and then him empowering those same people to go do that with others and to lead that out and and so there's just this uh there's this prayer this hope this excitement in me of what does it look like to equip the body like equip the saints equip the people in the church that i'm in but also um get to walk beside other pastors or other people um and help them own their faith in such a way um, that they are disciples wherever they go. Mm-hmm. That it's not, hey, come to church and hear Josh give an awesome message and you'll be saved. And then it'll be this whole thing. It's like, no, no, no. Like, one, I don't do the saving. And two, don't, don't bring them to the church with the expectation that I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to send you out with the expectation that you know how to walk through those conversations. That you can be the one helping guide them and share your journey with Jesus. And then sure, bring them to church. Like, that's great. Like, we want to have like a body and a community around them to, to help them grow in that faith. But 
you own that piece. Like I, it's, it's multiplication versus addition, right? Like I want to send people out versus try to draw people in. And, uh, and that gets me amped up when we've got parents baptizing their kids and we've got, um, volunteers who are, are, are going out in the community and saying, Hey, like I reached my neighbor and I had a conversation with them. And now we're talking about things mm-hmm. that I never thought were possible because I took a risk and I'm just like, that's the stuff I want to celebrate. That's the stuff that I think is going to flip this world upside down uh, in the name of Jesus. And so my heart is always like, man, like it's, it's so much less about me uh, and so much more about seeing God, like really freeing people up to allow them to, to invite God to use them however he intends to. And so my hope is like, eventually like, man, what if I'm not, the primary teacher at my church. And I love teaching. Like that's a passion of mine. But what if we're raising up a teaching team in such a way that's like, man, gosh, we, we're, we're over you. Like we're ready to hear somebody else. Um, why? Because it's, it's not about me. And, uh, and so that's, that's my hope, man, is to, again, work myself out of a job. So a couple years from now, somebody's like, hey, Josh, what do you even do? And I'm just like, honestly, like I just, I cheer people on. Like that's my job. That's what I do. Uh, I equip them and I cheer them on as they champion their, their call as disciples. Yeah, there's a um, a season of my life where I traveled and did worship leading vocationally. I was in a band, and um, and I'm I'm comfortable. I do speaking a decent amount, and I I enjoy that as well. I don't do it in a pastoral capacity, but more in an itinerant way. And um, you know, I find joy in those things. But it was probably around my in my 30s. I feel like the shift God made it was a beautiful gift was to go from like I'm fine with having the platform, but building a platform and putting other people on it. Like that to me is the thing that like gets me out of bed in the morning. Like gets me really excited. And I think generationally, not that this was never true of those who've gone before, always true of generations to come. But I do think there's a posture shift and a heart shift, even on things like you mentioned, the pulpit, like casting vision and thinking about these things, not as things to hoard. And, 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 you know, obviously it's a, it's a mantle of leadership to steward over, but how we steward over that and how we give that away and how we share that. um, That's definitely something that, you know, we, we've actually talked about before on the podcast um, about guys who are intentionally preaching 25 times a year because they want to build up people to serve their community and to, send, and to send out. And uh, I love, you know, That's especially good. being in this seat and trying to help so many churches and seeing the, you know, the challenges of leadership that we are going to be facing over the next decade. We need that posture uh, to be true. So I also just think how fitting with your story and with your passion to see people's life's turned around. I mean, I guess the name of your church uh, is very fitting with one, 180 life to see. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if I lucked into that or if, uh, if obviously God had a hand in it. So, uh, but yeah, it's cool. It's, it's an easy name to cast vision around, which yeah. is, uh, helps. That's awesome. Um, as you've been in this, I know it's a, it's only been a little while, August since you relocated to Connecticut and I'm sure there's lots of things that you're learning in leadership and pastoring and even, communicating, um, you know, all, all that. And I'm sure we could talk about that in years to come, uh, even though a lot of that I'm sure is still wet cement <laughs> in, in your journey, sure. but I'm curious how you've seen God work in your family and in your own life. Like how has God showed up? Uh, if you were to synthesize the journals of this last six months where you would circle and say, this was a God moment. Are there things in there that would kind of stand to the surface? Yeah, I, I think for me, Andy, the the struggle, and, and you hear this even at, like when I was sharing my story, is um, I think most of us have a thorn in our side, and mine is mine's pride, right? Like uh, 
which is one of the reasons that I have to so intentionally cast the spotlight onto yeah. other people and obviously back to, to Jesus uh, more than anyone else. Um, because pride is, is that, that challenge. And so it's just this, uh, there's something new that I'm having to wrestle through and really fight against that I, I didn't have to experience when I wasn't leading the church. And it's, it's that mindset of it's, it's the butts and seats mindset, you know, like it's the, like, Hey, like we want a bigger church and a better, like flashy. And it's like, no, 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 like Josh, that's your flesh that needs to die so that, that Jesus can live. And for me, it's a, probably like maybe I'm being too vulnerable here, but it, it's a daily, daily battle where I need to lay that part of me down and say, Lord, like cut this away because this is, this is not you. Like you're not looking to have just a, a filled auditorium. You're mm-hmm. looking for, for free worshipers who, who want you and pursue you and are being changed by you. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't happen because I'm the world's greatest communicator, which I'm definitively not. Uh, it's, it's because Jesus is a, a pursuer of people and he also chooses to use people to reach people. And, and so for me, it's just a, a remembrance of like, man, this is, this story is way beyond Josh. Mm. Um, and the instant it becomes about Josh is the instant that I'm not leading my church the way that I need to. And they, the it's the instant that I, I start avoiding topics that are uncomfortable to talk about. And it's the moment where, I'm not willing to have that hard conversation with that person because man, what if, and, um, and for me, it's just like, nah, you know what? Like, uh, if I am abiding and I'm connected to the vine and I'm saying, Jesus, you're it for me. Like, it's not about their approval or my own self approval. It's about you approving me and putting your stamp on my chest um, if that's what it's about, it, it changes the whole dynamic for me of how I lead and how I pursue and love people. Um, same thing of like, uh, like my staff or, or our volunteers of just like, is, is it more about who they are or what they do for me? Um, and, and for me, it's got it. If, if it's about butts and seats, it's like, Hey, you've got all these things you need to get done and they better be done with excellence. But if it's about people, um, it changes everything, right? Like it's, it's like, Hey, like, how was your walk? Like, mm-hmm. um, what are you being convicted on? Um, I actually had, had someone on, on staff today share something that they were convicted on. And I was just like, people don't share this in church world. Like, this is like, this is something you keep hidden for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. Uh, and for, for that person, I'm trying to keep it super vague, yeah, uh, but for that person, uh, to share that and to be like, Hey, like, this is real for me and I'm convicted on it and I'm trying to figure out what to do with it and to invite me into that. Their, their supervisor um, is other than this world. And yet it's exactly what I see in the book of acts. And that only happens though. If I, if I personally am invested in abiding and battling my pride and laying myself down and making it about the most important thing that it was for Jesus right? Which is loving God and loving people and, and trying to lead them into maturity, mm. uh, which means that when they are convicted on something and make a decision to make a change, that's a kingdom win. Yeah. That's not a, oh, why would you hide this from me? Or like, how dare you? Uh, it's a, man, what a victory this is mm. for the kingdom. Let's celebrate it. Let's run after it. Let's, let's like celebrate it if it's appropriate in front of people. 
from the standpoint of like, hey, this is what we're pursuing after authentic relationship, mm. which means that we are broken people on a mission to make and send disciples. And that's broken as a part of it. Um, so, I mean, part of that is when I'm teaching, like I have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, like li- literally this morning totally didn't look like Jesus. I'm about to give a message or, or write a message on like prioritizing like the important things over the urgent things. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is going to be powerful. And then Jenny comes in and she asks for help. And I'm like, I'm busy. Like I got things going on. Like, don't you understand? I got it. And it's just like, and, and literally I'm writing this message. I'm like, dude, you doofus. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> Um, but you totally, and so like in my message, I write like, this is what happened mm-hmm. this morning as I'm writing this message of like prioritizing the most important thing. This is how I didn't mm-hmm. do that because I felt the pressure of the urgent and I missed it and we're going to miss it. But when we miss it, how do we get back to what's most important? And it's always for me going to be like, how can I be vulnerable? How can I be honest so that my pride is not winning mm-hmm. and that I can truly be abiding in the way that God has called me to. So I think I gave you way more than you were asking. No, you did. That was good. I mean, there's a lot of resonance I have there. Um, And, you know, you mentioned, I mean, obviously all of us have an ego and struggle with pride, but you mentioned that specifically. And I I can't help but hear in your story um, that you're, you're practicing, you know, these things we think about like to put on humility or to put on gratitude. It's like, you actually have to practice, walk in them and living out that courageous vulnerability that you just described that's, that's the process of being a disciple of Jesus that we, you know, when we think about the, uh, what is it, when we say, what does it look like to be humble? Well, we have a good example of that. You know, as Christians, we have the penultimate example of that. And uh, so in our failures and we don't have to keep up those pretenses, which, um, you know, that's something I will say, especially um, it's true everywhere. And I think it's generationally true in the Northeast, like just that people want to know that you're real. They want to know that you're authentic. Um, And, and then in that we need to give them Jesus. It's not just, vulnerability and you know authenticity for the sake of vulnerability yeah, but right. it's that being a frame for the gospel is mm-hmm. such a beautiful uh beautiful thing that we get to to walk in and so i hope you continue to see that and cultivate that in your team and like you said it's also calling it out and others celebrating when other people are willing to lean in on that are we how are we going to meet them is it like a indifference is it shame or is it celebration um you know and that yeah. that is that you know that's obviously part of what you're trying to do and continuing to build the culture uh, at your church, which is an awesome, awesome thing. Josh, one more kind of just fun question for you. What is something that you do? And maybe you're going to have to learn new hobbies now that you're in the Northeast, like sledding and sure. shoveling, but is there something that you love to do for fun? Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, there's, there's a lot. I mean, outside of the the basics, uh, just hanging out with my kiddos yeah. and my bride, um, just hobby wise. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm super cool. So I like disc golf. Um, nice. It's just, it's poor man's golf, but, uh, man, ton of fun. Uh, I really enjoy it. And the courses here, it's, it's been different, Andy. I, I don't know how much you know about disc golf. Probably not a lot because nobody does, but, um, in Houston and in Florida, it's, everything's flat. So it's just like, all right, throw it, <laughs> shape it through the trees or whatever. It's easy. I'm over here, like having to relearn disc golf because I'm throwing down mountains and, using the wrong discs or throwing the wrong angles. And it's just, it's a whole thing. Uh, but it's been fun. I actually, I really enjoy it here. And it's, it's nice to be able to do it in a place as stunning as, mm-hmm. as Connecticut. Um, like that's part of the, the benefit is like, man, I'm like, I'm taking in views that you don't, you don't get in Houston. Like you're, you're throwing 
behind a building over in Houston yeah, and yeah. here <laughs> I'm throwing off mountains. Like it's just different. Um, uh, so yeah, I've really enjoyed it, man. It's, it's fun. I enjoy that. I also like woodwork and, uh, mm. like building things. I'm not good at it, but I enjoy it. So, so there's a win in that. And yeah. Well, I'm not a disc golf aficionado, but my sister is married to one and his, their family. I'll, I'll share more with you sometime about all their involvement in, uh, in that space. But it's a, I know the people who love it. It's definitely an emerging sport and it's a, like you said, poor man's mm-hmm. golf. So that's an awesome, awesome and fun thing. So that's great. Josh, where can people uh, connect with you if they want to say, Hey, if they want to shoot you a message online, what would be the best way to get connected with you? Yeah, uh, just Josh at 180lifechurch.org. You can jump on our website too. But um, I mean, I'm always always grab, uh, down to grab a, a cup of coffee with somebody and uh, to chat through whatever. So uh, yeah, I would love to be able to do that with uh, whoever is asking. Well, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for this opportunity to get to know more of your story. Thanks for bringing your, yourself to this fully, being real, being authentic uh, in this space and looking forward to what God's going to do in you and through you at One Day Life Church, a church that we really care about and a really important community there, West Hartford, uh, Connecticut, and excited to see where we're going to be in a few years. So thanks so much for making time today, Josh. I appreciate it, man. And seriously, this uh, this is a very cool way to uh, connect people and uh, and really equip and prepare. and tra- So just like good on you guys for, for championing this and, and good on you to have the passion to invite people into it. It's very cool. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you to be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and feel free to send us a message. It's an easy way to connect. You can also send me an email directly at andy at convergenortheast.org. That's andy at convergenortheast.org. Let us know what resonates with you, as well as any ideas or suggestions for topics or interviews for future episodes. We appreciate it when you follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and know that a positive review is a simple way that you can help more people discover the Evergreen Way. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.